time again for the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thanks for being here. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Good morning, Fred. Well, we have a lot to talk about, including more info on the second annual Smart Driving Car Summit coming up next week at Princeton. And joining us this week is Bryant Walker-Smith, Assistant Professor in the School of Law and in the School of Engineering at the University of South Carolina, also an Affiliate Scholar at the Center for Internet and Society at Stanford Law School. Thanks, Bryant, for being with us. Hi, Fred. Hi, Alan. Great having you, Bryant. Well, first up, Uber and reports that the crash that killed a pedestrian, Elaine Herzberg, in Arizona in March was likely caused by a software problem. The vehicle on autopilot saw the victim reportedly, but treated her as we would call a a false positive. The info comes from reports quoting sources, not an official statement by Uber. Bryant and Allen, you've been outspoken about the need for transparency. We'll turn to you first, Bryant. Yeah, so the... This crash was caused by a failure of Uber's testing system. And I use that term very broadly to include all of the processes, software, hardware, and people. And so I'm I'm reluctant to jump too quickly into just saying, well, if we figure out what software glitch caused this particular crash in this particular situation, then the problem solved. Because really, this was a, a... development vehicle a platform and and the expectation was or should have been that the the system was not perfect and the entire testing approach should have been designed to account for that uh, and so just at the the outset um the, the the failure was was not simply software it was of the in, entire testing program um but if if we go from this single report about about the, the potential contribution of software, um, I'm, I'm a little bit confused by it. And I think part of that's just the way in which um, it's, it's you know, reached the public. But, but it, I, I can see essentially two things being described in this. One would be the kind of very rudimentary um, crash avoidance system that, that's on production vehicles today, which, which is kind of a rough binary. It's do we stop or do we not? Um, and... In that case, I can see the description kind of matching up of of not reaching the the certainty necessary to conclude that there was um, something or someone to stop for, um, and accordingly not. But I would hope that any any complex advanced automated driving system would be much more um, developed than a, than a mere binary, uh, in which case. Um, the description really doesn't match up to the kind of um, recognition and classification that a system should be doing, uh, wherein the the sensor should be feeding data to the software and it should be coming up you know, with with a, a level of confidence in the identification rather than, than a mere binary um, and making a range of appropriate decisions, including speed, um, trajectory, based on its its confidence about its classification of, of various um, objects and, and people in the environment. So there's there's some information that that seems to be a little incomplete there. Um, r- regardless, if if any of that's true, it certainly points to 
to a significant shortcoming in in the design. You know, if this is a system that is falsely identifying a false positive, then then we're talking about a false negative. Um, that's that's ultimately what it is. Um, and and uh, certainly a system should be more complex than just making that binary determination. Alan. Well, yeah, no, I, I agree with all that Brian said. I, I, I think, I, I don't think that their system is, is um, uh, just a simple binary. They had very good people working on it. They basically stole everybody out of Carnegie Mellon. So, um, and, and hopefully, and, and those, those are very competent people. Um, uh, but I think there's, there's in fact, uh, you know, a, a more fundamental problem uh, because uh, in any of these things, um, as, as Brian said, um, and one assesses a probability associated with it, we know that uh, probability zero and probability one don't exist. And so you're never perfectly sure. And so therefore, in any of these systems, uh, there are going to be um, false positives. And I, and I think that what happened here, at least what I've ascribed as what happened, and darn it, Uber has to tell us what happens. They have to come out and be transparent. They have to basically uh, um, uh, uh, open up their souls to this uh, because nobody's going to trust them again. And even though they say today they're going to come out and test again, you know, in a couple of weeks, please don't. Uh, unless you're going to really tell us and, and help everybody. So, so other people may have a similar problem. And, and, and the problem is... You know, I put it in the very simple terms, in the very simple terms of, of uh, these, these systems aren't sure about uh, recognizing or classifying or assigning anything in various domains. And the big question is, is how unsure aren't you? And if you're so much unsure, then basically you say, forget about it. And I think that that's really what what happened. And, and, you know, all this is just logic. It's just code that you write. All of it is code, whether it's deep learning or whatever. And and, and in this thing, there are regions in which it's really not sure about an object that is uh, basically stationary in the road ahead. And, and the, the, the key examples of these things are, are overpasses. My goodness, uh, these systems detect overpasses or trees that are uh, overarching a road or overhead signs. And in some cases, they're not sure whether or not you can pass underneath. And so in the cases in which they're not sure you can pass underneath, they need to do, they need to do something else. And in a sense, in their whole logic, you know, they then operated in a domain where, in fact, they turned, I think, they just disregarded the fact that there was a pedestrian ahead because they didn't expect one in this situation and their false alarms were just too great. But what they should have done is realize that they shouldn't be operating in that regime. So if that regime is one of the regime in which you're going greater than 30 miles an hour or whatever it is, then don't go greater than 30 miles an hour. Okay. Oh, I, operate in, in, in places at greater than 30 miles an hour where those things don't occur or the probability that those things is so small that you can go out and take a risk. 
all of these things require will have risk. We take risk every day. We do it in every decision that we make. We're not perfectly sure. Uh, so we, you know, go for it. And that's, I, it's gonna, that's just part of life. That's part of, that's, that's part of life. I agree. Absolutely. Alan. And one of the, one of the contributions I think automated driving will make is a realization that we're all going much too fast in mixed traffic environments where there are pedestrians and bicyclists Absolutely. Um, and speed needs to be lower for everybody, including conventional automated driving. Systems. Absolutely. And all those things, and we need to be care and, and we just need to be careful and, and so on. And, and in fact, uh, you know, as I can, continue to write is that you know most the people say that it's it's human involvement that, that causes most of the, the 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 crashes yeah that's true it's us misbehaving if we didn't misbehave you know we'd get most of it out but we don't seem to have an opportunity you know we don't seem to uh, not misbehave yeah so computer not misbehave in this case the the in the, the domain in which their system was placed it was misbehaving. The designers and 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 the 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 whole um, uh, approach at Uber should have realized that, and they shouldn't be there. They can be, you know, cowboys and other things, but they shouldn't be cowboys in this. And they should understand very well when their logic says in this domain we're going to disregard any object that is not moving. Um, uh, uh, in the lane ahead, and this and uh, Lane wasn't moving in the direction of the car. She was going across the road. Yeah, so it, thought it was a stationary object. It probably thought it was an overhead branch. It said, "Forget about it." So it was a it was a test system. So <laughs> it's it, certainly there is a level of of capability that one would expect for anything to go on the road. Um, but it, to the extent that this this was a failure of of Uber, it was a failure of of the system. And we designers saying, well, it's a test system. We have a, a safety driver, so it doesn't have to be perfect. And you know, potentially on the human side, um, whether the individual driver or the test framework, saying, well, this this system is very capable. And therefore, we don't have to worry about always paying attention. And it's an instance when everyone's responsible, no one's responsible, and, and tragedy really results. Um, you know, Alan, I, I want to pick up on, on your discussion of, of probability because I, I agree, first of all, that humans are also imperfectly probabilistic, um, often in, in disastrous ways. You know, we, we underestimate certain risks, overestimate other risks. Um, and that the, the hope is that these systems will be better at, at more objective probabilism. But in the in the binary world of the more traditional systems, we've seen both of the instances that you've you've described. Um, so several years ago there were there was a, a brief NHTSA inquiry into three incidents involving um, a certain type of vehicle with a, a automatic braking system that that came to a stop in an active lane of traffic on a freeway. Um, just stopped, and you know, had there been a, a car tailgating that vehicle, there there would have been a crash. Um, and the the likely explanation was that the system detected an overhead bridge with a lot of metal, um, determined that that was an obstacle on the road, and stopped to avoid hitting it. Uh, so that was you know a real life example of in our binary worlds a a, a false positive. Um, you know, likewise, you know, you've discussed yeah, the, the. Let me interrupt you on that. Mm -hmm. So to avoid that. 
guess what? You create a false negative and Elaine dies. Exactly. Um, or we have actually the, the Tesla crash in Florida is the next example of that. Yeah. Um, where we're you know, likely possibly to avoid those kinds of overhead um, objects, the, the sensors were, were tuned to a, an area that, that these contributed to missing the semi um, under which the vehicle mostly passed. Um, so we have these real-life examples of the false positives and false negatives and, and really the, the, the difficulty of, of tuning for both. Yes, and, and, and I'm glad you brought up the, the Florida case because that is the premier example. The NTSB, did, I don't believe, properly pointed that out, okay? And, and, and as far as I know and things I read, maybe I missed it, Mobileye never admitted to that. Uh, they said, oh, we forgot the, the, the trailer was lost in the background of the, of the sky or something. Bull, the, you know, the... the, the cab of the truck and the big black tire passed in front of that car. What did the mobile system do with respect to that? It saw it, but it saw it as, as our approach velocity equals uh, our current velocity, therefore yeah. disregard. Okay? So, and so therefore, what do you create? You create the false uh, uh, negative and, um, and therefore you you don't do anything, and this is this is a yeah. this is a really critical problem. I think it's a critical problem that's embedded. It's it, it's it's almost necessarily embedded in all the software. It's something that we're going to have to live with because I don't think there's a way around it. The only way you live with it is make the probability of those things extremely small, uh, as small as you can, so that so that uh, you know we're down. Oh, to yeah. Crashes the two percent instead of a hundred percent, whatever. And yeah, it's certainly less than that. Yeah, and 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 we we don't live in a three dimensional world. We live in a four dimensional world where where, where time matters. And so this isn't individual momentary conclusions that are the sole basis of decision making. Um, it's the cum cumulative confidence over time. Um, and absent high confidence, the system should not be going so aggressively. Make decisions once we make these things have to make decisions all the time. Every oh, yeah, and update them and and revise and mm -hmm. evaluate. Well, no doubt we're going to be uh, talking about this a lot next week at the uh, at the Smart Driving Car Summit. Oh yeah, I will note that that you know right now as a participant in the NTSB investigation, Uber is limited in the kind of of specific information that it can release. Um, that doesn't preclude the company saying we can't release certain information right now, but it is abundantly clear that we messed up and we are deeply sorry for that. Um, that's a kind of statement that it could make. Um, likewise, at the point that Uber can release information, I certainly hope and expect that, that they will do two things consistent with what you said, Ellen. First is to release all kinds of information without any kind of shaping or framing to the research community and others so that um, it can absolutely analyze and criticize and Uber should stand there and take that. Um, but the other thing that I, I hope and, and expect that they should do um, is to convert that raw information to a presentation to the public in which they also own up to their failure to explain in very clear terms exactly what they did wrong um, in a way that the public can understand without without um, putting it through 
any rose colored lenses or without, you know, putting in a sort of marketing spin, just simply saying, here's what we did wrong. Amen. Now, we should add that at Uber's Elevate conference yesterday, the CEO said uh, he expects to have autonomous vehicle testing resume in a few months soon after the report from the NTSB is released and their own internal review is completed. So that's what they did have to say about it. Let's, let's hope that they do it. Otherwise, please don't. In the meantime, a Waymo van was involved in an accident in Arizona. Uh, police are saying it was in manual mode and was not at fault. What do we know here, Alan, and, and what do we need to know? Well, I, I think uh, the, the video is uh, self-evident. I mean, you just watch the video. But I think that, again, I, I would like to see Waymo be... Um, be open on this and and transparent and release the data that they must have been capturing in that vehicle as that crash occurred or in the two seconds uh, uh, leading up to that crash. That is really valuable data to everybody, okay? Because in this situation, um, manual operation, you look at the video, you realize, boy, the driver had, there was nothing the driver could do, and and the driver didn't seem to have done anything, okay? The question is, if the system would have been on, what would have the system done? And it's very, very valuable. That's valuable not only to Waymo to improve its system, because it might have been able to do something. Maybe it couldn't. That's fine if it couldn't. You know, meteorites are going to come down and crash on these vehicles. Trees are going to fall on them. Who knows? Things that physics just doesn't allow us to avoid. Fine. We'll accept those. But there may be something there that, in fact, the system could actually improve. So I find this is a very valuable corner case, as all these crashes are. They're fundamental corner case cases and all the data that anybody knows about any of these things should be made public so that everybody can learn everybody can get a princeton degree on it everybody can can improve and and become better as opposed to keeping these things oh i'm going to keep it for myself and therefore i'm going to be better and i'm going to compete on safety this is not where we should be absolutely not if we make it that we're not going to get anywhere because the system's not going to end up being safe enough for the public to accept it, and it's going to die on the shelf. Bryant, how do you Bryant, balance that kind of so transparency, well, Bryant, with with, uh, uh, with the need with the ne- that some companies see, at least, to protect their intellectual property? Yeah, so I, I think companies should be competing on capability, which means a company should not be deploying a system unless it's reasonably safe. Um, and so the capability of a system will determine where it can and should be deployed. And, and these are these are closely integrated, um, but it, it preserves some room for, for competition. Uh, collaboration is important. This is, happens in the automotive industry already. There's an auto ISAC for cybersecurity issues, at least in theory, is, is intended to, to ensure some sort of collaboration. Um, I... I I think it's reasonable for companies to retain a lot of their internal data necessary for the further development of their systems. Um, 
at the same time, I agree that there is value in a, a industry-wide um, sharing that includes regulators of particular edge cases. Um, because those are the, the very rare situations that, that um, really could benefit everybody's development and deployment, uh, as well as regulation of these systems. And so I think there's a specific way that this should be done. Um, first, um, if a company does identify the, the kind of edge case scenario that would be useful more broadly, uh, it should be encouraged to share that. Um, what that might require would be um, some method of converting the customized data produced by a particular system to a more universal format that can be um, used and processed by other systems. Um, that would be a great application of, of artificial intelligence, a great sort of secondary product for um, this field, because it's not just the the it's not just the lidar that is going to make money it's going to be all sorts of secondary applications including simulation and evaluation um that will be really important to this field so some way of us getting these these data into a universally usable format uh, or at least converting between systems and and then the 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 database that i would like should have conditions so these edge cases should be in a database and if a company wants to compare their system's performance, um, they should be able to, but the, the results should be public. Uh, in other words, no company should be allowed to just take these data, put them into their system, and never tell anyone how, how the system did. Because what that would mean is companies would be essentially designing for the test. They'd be relying on some other company to develop the data by doing all the difficult driving, um, taking those, feeding it in, and getting better at only those things that everyone else has identified as a problem. Um, that's not fair, and that's also not safe. But if you force the discipline of requiring anyone who tests against these edge cases to publicly explain how their system did, then you introduce a lot of discipline. Suddenly, it's not okay to, to, to use one of these edge cases and fail because everyone's going to know that you failed. Um, and that will reduce their, their use only to evaluation rather than to development. Tricky that's stuff. my vision for it. Mm -hmm. Well, I, 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 that, that's, that's an excellent recommendation. And of course, yeah, and I agree with every piece of that. I, 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 to wait for the NTSB or the federal government or somebody to write some legislation to do this just seems to me to be, oh my goodness, it's going to take forever. And, um, and, and we need to do this now. Uh, I think that the, the, the sharing of the other maybe legislative protection is, is that you need, you need to have some protection against the, against the, you know, being accused of collusion or whatever. And, and, uh, and uh, all those kinds of, of, of regulations um, uh, so that you can just put this out there. But uh, Yeah, the auto ISAC's a nice model for that. Pardon me? The auto ISAC's a nice model for that. Um, well, then, actually, that, yeah. that's your, you know how to do those things. I don't. I, I, <laughs> I don't bandwidth or the, or the patience, so I'm sorry. But, hey, Alan, are you, you giving are the, me homework? <laughs> Uh, you're the guy. <laughs> I, I, I want to run through a couple of other headlines here, guys, and and have you comment on on what you think might be significant here. Let me let me go 
through a few of these. Waymo's CEO, John Krafczyk, is saying the company's self-driving ride-hailing service will launch in earnest this year with paid passengers. There's a startup, Drive AI, that has now joined the list of companies that has begun testing self-driving vehicles. And in Ohio, the state is going to allow testing of self-driving cars on public roads all over. Governor Governor Kasich says he wants the state to become the wild, wild west for testing. No driver behind the wheel needed, but vehicles will have to be at least remotely monitored. So tell me what's significant here. You You can go first, Alan. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think Ohio's comment is the most, uh, most significant. I think that's great. And I think uh, the announcement should be it's not self-driving, it's driverless. Because, in fact, what uh, what they've defined is a driverless environment and uh, and saying that uh, you can go out there and do that. And and now whether or not we should call it the Wild Wild West, uh, that's uh, we shouldn't do the Wild Wild West. We have to do this. And, and we can't be loose cannons on decks. We have to do this very responsibly. And again, we can't have another, although we will have, but we can't have another Uber crash. I mean, that hurt everybody. That hurt every, and, but in the end, it'll probably help everybody because it'll let everybody be a heck of a lot more serious. Because when they look at what this, did to Uber and what it cost, cost its net worth right now, my goodness, uh, that's a lot of money. And so therefore, uh, it won't, I don't think Ohio will end up being the wild, wild west, but at least they recognize that if we're really going to deliver mobility, enhance mobility with these things, without just increasing vehicle miles traveled by the one percenters, then in fact, uh, you know, the, 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 the real world uh, testing of these things uh, without anyone behind the wheel is, is a necessary step to getting to, uh, to making a, a, a market out of this. And so I'm thrilled that Ohio has done that. And I wish New Jersey would do the same thing. How about South Carolina? You go. Uh, yeah, many, many people in South Carolina and other states um, take the position that existing law is consistent with um, a range of automated driving activities, um, certainly including testing. Um, and that's necessarily actually the position that, that Governor Kasich in Ohio must be taking as well, because as governor, he doesn't have the power to, to, to change legislation. Um, he is empowered to, to enforce law, and so he must have concluded that everything in his executive order is consistent with existing law, in the same way that Governor Ducey must have reached the same conclusion in, in Arizona. Um, and so the, the the fact that a governor has has you know issued an executive order doesn't tell us that the state is has changed the legal environment, and that suddenly something that previously was not allowed is allowed. Um, it tells us that that it's a state where the governor is, is taking a more active role and actually signaling the state's receptiveness um, and um, facilitating testing, providing more legal certainty, um, and in the case of Ohio, actually providing some specific um, guidelines for that testing, uh, including that there be uh, an, an operator. Um, 
now that that operator doesn't need to be in the vehicle, but but they're performing the role of a driver. They're they're monitoring, they're supervising, they're prepared to intervene um, for the purposes of of testing. I, I I don't know why anyone would 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 say Wild Wild West is a is a good thing. I, I was a little puzzled by by that that quote from the governor. And it um, should be it should be we should correct it to Wild Wild Midwest anyway. I think. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> I, I, I'm from the Midwest. I'm, I'm nothing if not wild, right? Um, so so the, the reality is that, that, that automated driving testing is happening in many states and could happen in many, many more um, consistent with existing law um, all over, all over the United States. Um, and so, you know, having one more state join that list a little more explicitly isn't necessarily that big of a deal. I think the timing is maybe more significant insofar as, as we've had some high-profile incidents uh, and to have a, a governor nonetheless uh, link his reputation to these technologies at this time does sound like more of a, a bolder endorsement than it might have been just a few months ago. And no doubt from a from a political perspective, perhaps, too. I mean, he this is his last year in office, I believe, uh, due to term limits. So uh, maybe he wants this to be part of his legacy that he opened the door. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, Brian, you made some very, very important points there. And, and you, you said them very well. And and, and if, if one looks at, at what happened in Arizona, you know, unfortunately, um, uh, the the Uber crash with Elaine happened. But in fact, you know, the the driver, the 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 governor put out a welcome mat, and um, and I think uh, really led to to enormous advances, especially by Waymo uh, there. Um, and and what what's happened in Ohio is that a welcome mat has been put out. And 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 that's 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 very um, heartening, and um, and this is something that I've been trying to have happen in New Jersey, and I've been uh, singularly unsuccessful, I should point out, uh, but that New Jersey should have an uh, equally a welcome mat put up by the governor uh, for this, um, and 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 but to have it be uh, re- very responsible. Uh, approach to the whole thing because in fact public safety is at the centerpiece and everybody involved with this has to realize that if it the the safety is an absolute necessary requirement for this to move forward if if we don't achieve the safety this is not going anywhere but some bookshelves in my office or in you know university offices if even there and so everybody has to be extremely responsible on this uh, because uh, because um, it, just one entity uh, ruins it for everybody else. And if we're all responsible, then everybody will benefit. And again, that's why the transparency, the, that's why the community working together on this is so fundamentally important. It's more important than the money. Ellen, I love your phrase, rolling out a welcome mat. That is, that is such a vivid description of, of what is happening in Ohio and in other states that are, are, taking, are putting forth affirmative signals 
and 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 there's sort of two parts to to a welcome mat. You put it out to let people know that they should come in, um, but you also put it there so they can wipe their feet and so that they they can enter responsibly. And and this is really both. Welcome, come in, but do so in a responsible manner. Make sure there's not mud on your shoes. Um, and and that is I think the right approach. Now I've been surprised in in a little way the way that that each individual piece of of negative news about. Um, driving automation systems, and I include um, lower-level active safety systems and driver assistance systems there, um, hasn't seemed to shift the, the political or public conversation very much. Um, whether it was some of the, the Tesla incidents involving autopilot um, or the, the crash involving Uber, um, both developers of these systems and policymakers really haven't changed much of their their tone. Um, and and I, I wonder if that would continue even in the face of more, even more tragic crashes. I don't know the answer to that, and I don't want to find out. Um, well, I, I, I don't know. I, I, they may not have changed. Well, a lot of people said, well, I'm going to stop testing. And I'm gonna I'm gonna reevaluate, which is really important. And guess what? They must have found. Oh my goodness, we were going to go over 30 miles an hour in places where there might have been a pedestrian crossing. We're not going to do that. Maybe I hope they figured that out. Uh, and we're going to improve our system so that in fact we don't turn it off uh, at 30 miles an hour. It's going to be good enough to operate through 65. And anybody that's doing these systems that go on greater than 70 miles or 75 miles an hour. Please just go to Germany, operate on the Autobahn. We don't even want you here, okay? Because that's that's wild, wild far west instead of wild, wild Midwest. Um, and and so that, that's part of wiping your feet, as you as you very very pointedly uh, uh, made with respect to the welcome mat. So again, uh, being responsible, doing this well, and and I think uh, and. And treating it responsibly, there, the the value proposition here is enormous. If we don't screw it up, well, all of this is going to be part of the uh, Smart Driving Car Summit, the second annual coming up next week at Princeton. Alan, we don't have much time, but give us a, a quick look at at what the program's looking like. Hey, Brian's going to do the lunch thing on on <laughs> Wednesday, and it's going to be great. I mean. It's to be clear, I'm not cooking. Huh? I'm not cooking, yeah. in case anyone's worried. Uh, and uh, and and um, uh, we're going to try to discuss it and have people there to try to work the problem. This is, as I pointed out, this isn't going to be a bunch of people preaching and telling you they've got the solution. Uh, we're trying to address this and to make it so that, in fact, um, can, can get headed in the right direction. We're still at the very beginning of all this. At the very, we're still still at zero. Uh, but we've moved a, a great deal since last year, and 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 the trajectory uh, is uh, really a good one uh, to be able to capture the quality of life benefits that that these systems are meant to to deliver to everybody. So, in a sense, um, you know, the goodness uh, objective is there. We just don't have. We just have to make sure we don't screw up in the way that uh, we try to get there. 
Well, if you've been listening to all of this, uh, maybe you should be there. There's more info at summit.smartdrivingcar.com. We want to thank Bryant Walker-Smith for joining us this week. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com on iTunes, Google Play, and more, even on your Amazon Alexa. Look for my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for tuning in.